Well, good morning and welcome to all of you uh, to San Francisco Bible Church. It is with great excitement, at least for me, I don't know about for you, that we return to our series of the one another's. Uh, and I know it's been a little while since we've been there, um, and I, I really was tempted to change our topic, but for now we're going to stay here in the one another's. Uh, the passage that we'll be starting from this morning, uh, Colossians three twelve to 13, it's going to be familiar to some of you because uh, just a, a few weeks ago, our brother Theo Lowe masterfully took us through the end of Colossians 3, and that gives me the opportunity to dig into the finer details. Now, does that mean that this sermon is going to be dull and boring as I dump exegetical details on you? Hopefully not. But um, if if we think about it this way, I want us to look at uh, our sermon today kind of like an instant replay in sports, right? Where they zoom in on the footage and trying to see like what's going on. What are the finer details? Did that guy actually catch the ball or did he not? Right? Uh, and so we're, we're zooming in on this passage to, to check out the finer details. So with that being said, let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians 3, uh, if you're not already there, and we'll read verses 12 to 13 together. Colossians 3, chapter 12. I mean, ch- Colossians 3, verse 12. Uh, so, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and graciously forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for your word and uh, for just the great power that it has to change our lives. We're grateful for the fact that we can come to this book and we can know exactly what you desire for your people. Lord, we know that um, we are full of sin, and yet you are full of grace. And um, as we approach this message this morning, I know it was a difficult message for me to prepare uh, because it just pulled out all this into my own heart, and I pray that Lord, you would that you would be gracious to uh, to to the people, to the congregation, as as they also brace for what your word has to say. Uh, we pray that Lord, you would give us humble hearts, that you would allow for us to um, yeah, humbly consider the ways that we might need to grow and change. And so it is with that in mind, Lord, that we pray that you give us much, much grace, much humility as we approach your word this morning. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen. Well, no matter how much time has passed, no matter how many times and ways we might learn our lessons, no matter how how much we might try to make right the wrongs, people always wrestle with loving one another and accepting one another. We have stories, real and fictional, that teach us the importance of tolerating each other, and yet we still struggle with tolerance. Why is this? Why is this? The simple answer, of course, is sin. 
But the more complicated answer lies in understanding what tolerating or bearing with one another truly means biblically. As, you can, as we can see here in Colossians 3, there seems to be a particular meaning that Paul has in mind. And what we have to ask ourselves is, what is his intent for his readers and for us? Would Paul be in agreement with today's society and how tolerance is mostly blanket acceptance of other people, no matter what they do, no matter what they say? Or is there legitimate room for what some may call intolerance, even as we bear with one another? Our task this morning is to do a biblical study on these words, bear with one another, as Paul used it, so we can understand what God is telling us through Paul. And we're going to do that this morning. Uh, we're going to see it in our outline as we see the meaning of bearing with one another, the command of bearing with one another, and the application of bearing with one another. So at least in terms of structure, it's a little bit drier this morning, nothing clever. It's just meaning, command, and application, but uh, Lord willing, we will learn much. So number one, the meaning of bearing with one another. Well, whenever we want to study what a biblical author means in his use of a particular word, we always have to be careful to do proper word studies. We could simply look up the word in the dictionary, or if you're a language person, a lexicon, uh, if you want to be technically correct. Right, we could look up the, the definition of the word, and, and, um, and that could give us the answer of, of what we're looking for, but we even know from our own study of English or other foreign languages that just looking up a word in the dictionary or a lexicon doesn't necessarily mean that you know what it means. And one of my favorite illustrations of this is actually something one of our guest preachers uh, used as an illustration here, at, uh, at least here at this church, many, many years ago as he was talking about how difficult it is to learn English. English, after all, is one of the only languages, if not the only language, where our noses run and our feet smell. The key to making sure that we have an accurate understanding of the meaning of this word is therefore not just definition, but also the context in which it is used. So in Colossians 3, 12 to 13, we see that bearing with one another is related to Paul's calling of believers to act like the elect of God, to act like the new self that God made us to be. We are, to do, we, are, we are to do this primarily by putting on five characteristics. And you see that in verse 12. Five characteristics that Paul lists. We are to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But how do we do that? Or how do we do that? Well, verse 13 seems to indicate that we put on those characteristics primarily by bearing with one another and graciously forgiving one another. Now, just from this surface level understanding of bearing with one another, we see that bearing with one another, with one another is not necessarily something that you do just because you have no choice. Right? Like, 
the attitude that we often have when it comes to bearing with one another, right? It's like, oh, I guess if I have to deal with you, I will. I guess if I have to put up with you because God told me to, I suppose I will for now. Right? That's typically what we think of. Right? But what we see here is that there seems to be some care that's involved with bearing uh, with one another. Now, the particular Greek word that Paul uses here for bearing with one another is the word uh, anexomenoi, or um, it's, it's from the, the noun anexo. And this verb carries the meaning of regarding someone with tolerance. Sorry, the verb anexo. It, 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 uh, regarding someone with tolerance to endure, bearing with, or to put up. Right? Those are the meanings uh, that are associated with anexomenoi. And the word shows up 16 times in the Greek, translation of the Old Testament, and, and was used to describe the endurance of an individual through trials or offenses. Right? So for instance, it was used often of Job as he endured the trials that he had to face, or when God endured the sin of the people of Israel. In some cases, it was even used to talk about how God restrained rain, withheld rain, or his wrath from his people. In the New Testament, anexo is used 15 times, with many of the occurrences carrying the idea of bearing with someone or patiently tolerating other people when the response does not necessarily demand that we extend patience to others. For example, in Mark 9, 19, Jesus addresses an issue where his disciples and the scribes were arguing over casting a demon out of a young child. They couldn't do it. And they're arguing about it, and Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? Right? And, they're like, and the father of the child comes up and explains to Jesus all that happened. And he's, he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, can you help us? They failed. Can you help us? And Jesus' response is this, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I put up with you? Or how, how long shall I be with you? Excuse me. How long should I put up with you? Bring him to me. So this verb is translated put up with here, but we can still get that idea that Jesus is extending patience to others when patience might not be the natural response. Let's say, for instance, that you're instructing your child or a child. Maybe that doesn't have to be your child. You're instructing a child. Or you've told them a thousand times to do one particular thing. Right? And they choose not to do it. Right? right to your face. The audacity. Right? right to your face. They're still not doing what you told them to do. What is your response going to be? You're going to sigh. You're going to roll your eyes and you're going to be like, how long do I have to deal with you? How many times do I have to, to, to say this to you? How long will I have to put up with your disobedience? Right? There's that frustration that's there. There's that anger that's there. There's that impatience that's there. But that's not what Jesus has here. Right? There's disappointment for sure. There's certainly disappointment. Right? But he goes in and he ministers to that family. Right? He endures it. He's patiently dealing with them, even though he is disappointed with them. And this patient endurance is this idea, is this sense in which Paul is using this word here in Colossians and also in, the, in uh, Ephesians where we see similar commands. However, there is, 
there is a limit to tolerance that, uh, that we might show others. And Paul talks about that extensively in 2 Corinthians, but we'll examine that a little bit more uh, in our application section. But for now, let's just keep in mind that bearing with one another, tolerating one another, whichever word you prefer, is the idea that Paul is leaning in on here in Colossians and also in Ephesians, right? that we are patient with one another, right? that, we, uh, that we don't necessarily deal with other people in the way that, they, that we think that they deserve. Right? And so now that we've zoomed in and got a close-up view of the meaning of bearing with one another, let's zoom out a little bit right? and look at the command of bearing with one another, the command of bearing with one another. So, as we've previously noted, the primary command that Paul gives is found in verse 12. The command for the Colossians to put on those five characteristics. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another helps us understand that primary command. So, even if they're not technically commands, they have command force or the force of a command. Now, by itself... By itself, the idea of bearing with one another does not exactly need to be thought of in a positive light. In fact, it would almost seem as if Paul is saying, hey, just do the bare minimum, guys. Stop fighting. Just kind of look like you're at peace and just bear with one another. Right? At, at most, that's what it looks like. Right? Just bare minimum, stop punching your brother. Right? At bare minimum, stop wrestling and arguing about who is better, etc., etc. And that's what we normally read into this, right? That's how we would normally look at this, at this verb. And, you know, take for example, our everyday use of the word bear or tolerate. If I were to say to you that I bear with my friends or that I tolerate my friends... You're thinking one of three things. You're thinking one of three things. Right? Either, number one, I'm not a nice person. Right? Number two, my friends must be really annoying. Or number three, some combination of, of those two. Or either way, it's not exactly a flattering picture, is it? But remember, this command to bear with or tolerate another person is put in the context or it is locked into the context of putting on the new self, right? As the elect of God, holy and beloved, you are to put on these things. So that means that what we would normally do needs to change. It needs to be different. It needs to look different. And additionally, what you see is that bearing with one another is closely tied to a command to graciously forgive each other. The word for graciously forgive, or sorry, graciously forgave, is a different word from the typical Greek word for forgiveness. Normally, in the Greek, the, the word for forgiveness is a, a word called aphiemi, and it means to let go. Right, to let go of something, to let it pass, um, to, 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 let, uh, to let a wrong go, right? basically to overlook. But this particular word 
that is used here in terms of graciously forgave, it carries with it, it's tied into it, this idea of grace. There is grace that is tied in with that forgiveness as well. The amount of grace that we show in how we forgive other people is on the same level, is on the same level that God has shown us forgiveness. That's what it means to graciously forgive. Let's think about it this way. How much has the Lord graciously forgiven us of our sins? How much has the Lord graciously forgiven us of our sins? Is there any sin in our lives where God draws the line and says, "Mm -mm, no, uh uh-uh, not that one. You've crossed the line too many times. That sin, I'm not forgiving you for that. My grace won't cover that. You're done. I know sometimes it feels that way right? When you're stuck in your sins, when you're lost, it feels that way. But does God actually act like that? Does he actually say that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There are no sins which the Lord will not forgive if we genuinely repent and ask for forgiveness. That's why we can sing that his grace is greater than all our sins. Now, some of you might object, and you might say, well, what about the unpardonable sin? Isn't that something that we can't be forgiven of? Well, we can talk about that in more detail at some other time, or you can talk to me in private, but let me just quickly say here that the unpardonable sin doesn't apply to people who live now. It applied to people who lived back in Jesus' day, who saw what he did in person, They saw the works of God through him in person, and they looked at him and they said, no, that's not not of God. That's not from God. That's of the devil. So that's a quick explanation of what the unpardonable sin is. But basically, that doesn't apply right now. So back to the answer of the question that we're thinking about together, there are no sins, no sins that we've committed that cannot be forgiven. Now, whom do we forgive? We forgive anyone whom we have a complaint against. Anyone. Right? That could be that person who, who forgot your special day. That could be that person who has inadvertently insulted you time and time and time again in the way that they speak with you. That could be the person who dealt with you in a way that was ungracious, unfair, and prideful. That could be a lot of people. Right? Who can we have complaints about? Anyone, really, right? But this is something that God, through Paul, is making clear to all Christians. As a new creation, our attitude towards others ought to be drastically different from when we were unsaved. Bearing with one another is not something that you do as if you have no choice or just because I have to. But it's something that we do out of love. 
We, we're seeking to extend graciousness as hard as it may be to someone who is unlovable or extremely difficult to love. But let's check our work. Let's check our work. Let's see what Ephesians 4 has to say. So turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians 4. Do we get this right? Ephesians 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So you see, in a similar call to what he called the Colossians to heed, Paul calls the Ephesians to walk or live in a manner worthy of the calling with which uh, they've been given in salvation. Now notice you see a lot of similarities there. Or you see another call to be humble, another call to be gentle, another call to be patient. And if we see something repeated multiple times, right, in multiple books, different books, and we're reading it, it should remind us something. It's not here for no reason. This is not a throwaway fact. That something that ought to mark all Christians is that we're humble, that we're gentle, and that we're patient. But also, that we bear with one another. But this time, Paul adds on, in love. In love. Right? And it doesn't mean that Paul is saying, hey, uh, Ephesians, you need to be more loving. Colossians, don't worry about being loving. Right? You can just tolerate each other. But the Ephesians have to love one another in their tolerance. Right? That's not what he's saying. Um, but what we see here right, is essentially a redefinition of what it means to bear with one another, what it means to tolerate one another, that it is done in love. It is done in care for the other person. It is more explicitly spelled out for us here that bearing with one another is something that we do in love. And this love that ought to be shown is agape love. It is a committed love, a love that seeks the highest good for the one who is the recipient of that love. Even if, perhaps even especially if, that love is not shown to us in return. What we have to remember about the Ephesian church is that it consisted of both Greeks and Jews, people who were ethnically different, who had different statuses in society, and as a result, they naturally had tension. They naturally had tension. But since they heard the gospel and believed in it, since they received Christ, that dividing wall that prevented the two from becoming one has been blown up. It's been destroyed. It's been taken down so that the two are one in Christ. And because they are one in Christ, Paul calls them to humbly accept one another in love, flaws and all. Flaws and all. It's kind of hard to hear, isn't it? That we have to accept one another, that we have to bear with one another, flaws and all. That doesn't sound fun. Yeah? It doesn't sound fun. Now, I understand there can be some difficult people to love in our lives. I know that personalities don't always mesh. That sometimes personalities clash. That preferences are not always met. And that communication is not always easy. Bearing with one another in love, being able to 
overlook sin or even forgive sin committed against us is not the easiest thing to do. It's really hard to do it. It's far easier to justify our anger, to justify our resentment, to justify our bitterness towards that other person. Do you know what that person said to me? Do you know how he treated me? Do you understand how long I've had to deal with this in my life? Right? Isn't it far easier to respond to those difficult people to love in those particular ways? Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand the pain that this person put me through. You don't understand whatever it is. It's far easier to justify that lingering resentment, anger, and bitterness towards that other person and to separate ourselves from them. I don't want anything to do with them. Just leave them, you know, just put them over there. I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to talk with them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I'll, I'll sit in the same room with them, but I'm sitting over there. Right? We don't want to interact, typically, right? with the person who has offended us, with the person who, uh, who has made us angry. But as we look at this text, there is no wiggle room. There is no wiggle room. This command doesn't say, bear with one another in love so long as the other person is repentant. Bear with one another in love so long as you feel like it. No, it's just bear with one another in love. We are called to do that. Not just tolerate each other, simply because we have to, because God said so, so I guess I will. But to willingly strive to move closer to people who are hard to love because we love God. If he was willing to forgive us of all of the sins that we have committed against him, by sending his son to die on the cross for us in our place and then bring us into his family, who are we to say, sure, Lord, I'll love this person, I'll love that person, but this other person over here, that's where I draw the line. You crazy. I ain't going to do that. Who are we to say that? May we strive to bear with one another in love and to do the best that we can, recognizing that we're all in the process of becoming more like Christ. We know that. We give acknowledgement to that, right? We're like, oh yeah, we're all in process. We're all becoming more like Jesus. But then when that person crosses us, right, when they annoy us, it's kind of like, I don't want to deal with him. You can have him, Lord. He's yours. Not my problem. Right? That can be the attitude that we have. But that's not what God calls us to do. There are no exceptions. There's no wiggle room. And if this hurts you, believe me, it hurts me too. I wrestle with this too. It's not me pointing my finger at you. It's me saying, yeah, this is how sinful I am too. 
So we have to strive to leave ourselves with no wiggle room whatsoever to make sure that we love our Lord so much that we're willing to die to ourselves, that we're willing to die to our own preferences, to our own sense of what justice is, so that we may please our Lord. Now, to the application. I'm already starting with it, but more, more explicitly, the application of bearing with one another. If we are to bear with one another in love, showing others gracious tolerance, does that mean that we have to put up with everything that a person does and tolerate everything that they do or say? No. There are still limits to what we can tolerate within the body. The first limit that I want to draw your attention to is found in 2 Corinthians 11.29. 2 Corinthians 11.29. Paul uses this, that same word, anexo, here when he talks about bearing the foolish gladly. And he's talking about, if you look at the greater context, he's talking about how the Corinthians gladly bear with false teachers. Back in verse 13 and 14, Paul identifies that there are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as the apostles or as apostles of Christ. And he says this, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. These people were coming in as uh, people with authority, saying that they were sent from God, saying that they had authority, that they were teaching doctrine, but it was clearly false doctrine. They were teaching error and saying, I'm a Christian like you. And these Corinthians, instead of recognizing the error and calling it out, these Christians were like, oh, you're Christian? Cool, me too. I'll believe whatever you say, essentially. And so their acceptance of this wrong doctrine led Paul to have a great concern for them. And since they were so lost in their thinking, since they were so lost in their discernment, thinking that they were wise, he uses some divine, or not divine, sanctified sarcasm here in verse 19 to say, like, look, if you're going to accept this foolish teaching, consider me a fool too. Consider me a fool too and listen to what I have to say. Now much more can be said, of course, about the foolish toleration of false teachers that the Corinthians had. But suffice it to say that bearing with one another does not mean that you just tolerate everything. False doctrine is never acceptable and should always be called out and challenged even if it makes things a little uncomfortable. Now, do you need to do so on social media? It's a little more iffy, right? Do we need to do that on social media? Probably not. But the fact of the matter is, when, you, when we see false doctrine, we can't let it stand. We can't let it stand. We ought to confront it. We ought to challenge it. We ought to, of course, strive to tactfully win over the person to right doctrine, But if it's clear that that person is not willing to listen, then we must be stronger in our rebuke. But we don't tolerate false teaching. We don't tolerate false doctrine. 
That's not something that we're like, oh, you believe that? Okay, whatever floats your boat. And we call it out because it's wrong. Because it teaches people things that are contrary to right doctrine. Contrary to the things that bring them closer to God. Contrary to what forgives them of their sins. And that's why it's so important for us to call out false doctrine. Now the second limit to our bearing with one another, which is closely related to the first, is that we don't tolerate sin in each other's lives either. The Corinthians are again the target of Paul's correction. And before you think, oh, poor Corinthians, why are you getting slammed so much? Well, as you see, they deserve it this time. Uh, Well, it's not like they didn't deserve it the first time, but they deserve it. 1 Corinthians 5, 1-2. Paul's confronting the Corinthians for not practicing church discipline. And he says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and sexual immorality of such a kind as does not, even exist, does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And you have become puffed up and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. Now, we could have looked at a bunch of different passages here to talk about how God doesn't want us to tolerate sin. But this example is relevant to our discussion this morning because it highlights our responsibility to lovingly call brothers and sisters who are caught up in sin to repentance. And it also speaks to some of what we see in our culture today. That you can live and be your true self because that's how God made you to be. Be your authentic self. Be your genuine self. Whatever you feel, that's what's king. Whatever you feel, that's what you ought to do. We don't tolerate sin. We have to confront it. Matthew 7 and 18 provide us with guardrails, structure, procedures, if you will, of how we go about this process of confrontation and restoration. And remember, when we talk about confronting someone for their sin, right, it's always with the end goal of restoration. Right? It's both together, not just all confrontation and not just blanket restoration either. Right? And we're supposed to, of course, do this in love, but sometimes I think we get a little too carried away. And we get a little strong, we get a little passionate, and we're just coming in. And we're like, yeah, I'm going to correct you. I'll give you the truth in love. Let me smack you upside the head. You get a little too carried away sometimes. But these guardrails exist to help us be careful, or to help us understand, or to, to help us seek to confront and restore this person in a way that is loving, a way that is accurate, that understands all the information, a way that, uh, in a way that's understanding, right? that we enter into this person's world, that we see the world through their eyes. And of course, we confront in a way that's winsome. Right? We want to win them over to repentance. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever been able to yell at someone into the, God, into the kingdom, right? to angrily rebuke someone into the kingdom. I don't think I've ever been able to do that. And I'm not saying that I want to either. 
But I'm just saying that we have to do so in a winsome way. Right? So you just can't go, go about correcting people without understanding how to do it God's way. Now, will we make mistakes? Will we make mistakes despite these guardrails, structures, and procedures? Yeah, we will. And it's in these times where we have to own up to our mistakes. No matter how good our intentions were when we corrected the other person. Right? Usually if you're trying to correct someone, you have the best intentions, right? But can you still hurt someone with the best intentions? Right? You absolutely can. And even if the concerns that we have continue to persist, it's still our job, right? It's still our job to take full responsibility for our missteps without jabbing the finger back at the other person. And let's think about it this way. In any relationship, the people involved in the relationship contribute to the culture of that relationship. Right? There's a culture in each relationship that we have with other people. And so if a conflict arises in that relationship, you can't say, not my fault, it's that person. Look what they did. Look what they said. Look what they continue to do. Right, we can't say that it's just their fault. We've done something too. We have to own up to what we're responsible for as well. We all contribute to the culture of the relationships that we're in. And so if any fallout happens, we have to ask ourselves, what have I done to get us here? Where have I gone wrong to contribute to this dysfunction? And we have to own up to that. Or confess that to the Lord. It's not just one person. It's whoever's involved. All of them contribute to the culture of the relationship. And they're missteps. Genuine missteps, but they're missteps. Now, if because of our missteps, we lose our ability to speak into another person's life, that's unfortunate. But it can be a consequence for making errors in how we care for other people. Can we win their confidence back and make things right? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely we can. That's a part of biblical reconciliation. But what we have to recognize is that it could take time to rebuild trust. And we have to be okay with that. You can't force someone to reconcile. We're called to be reconciled with one another, but you cannot force them to. Consequences are a real thing. Your consequences are a real thing. Even if you ask for forgiveness and are granted forgiveness, there are still going to be consequences. For instance, if I asked you to borrow 20 bucks and I didn't pay you back for 25 years, and in the process, I also say to you, you never do anything for me. When's the last time you've done anything good for me? Or you, don't look, you don't care for my interests. And then I realize my fault. I come back to you and say, I'm sorry, I forgot. Here's your 20 bucks. Will you forgive me? Sure. Right? Why not? 
Let's say you're, you're very gracious people. Why not? Sure, I'll forgive you. And then maybe a few weeks later, hey, can I borrow a thousand bucks? Would you trust me? Would you trust me? Sure, I'll forgive it. Here's a thousand. No way. Right? No way. Even if you were loaded, you'd be like, nah, you weren't faithful with 20. Why would I give you a thousand? There are consequences. When you break trust, there are consequences. Think about it. Even with forgiveness, right? Back to numbers. When the people of Israel rebelled against God and they complained against God and Moses, did they repent of their complaining and their rebellion? Yeah, right? They did. Were there consequences? You bet there were. 40 years in the wilderness. It doesn't mean that God was like, I only forgive you up to this point, now you have to pay penance. That's what the 40 years is for. No, but there are consequences. There are consequences always. There is no such thing as no consequences. There are always consequences. Now, that was the negative aspect of application of bearing with one another. This next side, it's a little more positive, but it's still slightly negative. But, you know, we've already seen, we've already established that bearing with one another is marked by love and it's motivated by the gracious forgiveness that we've been shown by God. Now, as we think about how we can better bear with one another, uh, the surrounding context of Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 remind us that bearing with one another is something that we ought to choose to do willingly as we try and battle the sinful parts of our own heart that doesn't want to extend grace and patience towards others. How does that sit with you? Does that feel good? doesn't feel good, does it? Right? It's uncomfortable. You hear that and you're just kind of like, Ugh, I have to willingly choose to bear with someone, I have to have a good relationship with someone, and I have to battle my own heart in the process. Ugh. Right? It just doesn't sit right. It's really uncomfortable. And as your mind thinks about those particular people, that you either begrudgingly tolerate or just outright avoid. That sounds absolutely miserable, doesn't it? I have to tolerate him? I have to bear with her? God, are you sure about that? Now, some of you might even argue, God, God, you don't want me to be insincere, do you? Why are you asking me to do something that I cannot do? Brothers and sisters, if this is your objection, believe me, I get it. Wanting to extend kindness, wanting to bear with others that that makes you uncomfortable, that irritate you, that make you upset... And whatever other thing that causes us not to want, like someone or want to be around them, that's difficult. That's exceedingly difficult. But think about the root of why we don't want to bear with others or tolerate them. What is going on in our hearts that makes it more difficult? 
Is it not our own pride? Is it not our own pride? Is it not the error of Matthew 7 where we're looking in the eye of the person who has offended us, who has wronged us, who annoys us to death, and we're like, oh man, but God, they are so annoying. And yet, we fail to have a good look at ourselves and to recognize where we are irritating, where we are annoying, where we have all these problems that we contribute to the culture of our relationships. We have undesirable qualities just as much as any other person that we deal with who has undesirable qualities. And if perhaps you think that you have no undesirable qualities, that you have no sin in your life, and that you're perfect because you know, God saved you in Christ, you're perfect, you don't sin no more, all you do is make mistakes, well, we should probably talk about that at some other time. Come see me. But um, you know, that's fine. You can think that. But an extension of Matthew 7 and examining your own life to see if you have faults includes talking to other people who will honestly tell you what they think, what they see in your life. Everybody needs a little help now and then to examine our lives to see if there are any hidden reefs of danger in our lives. Now, it's not always accurate. Maybe they're not always right. And we have to consider what they're saying. We have to think about it. But we should still seek out the counsel of other people to see what they see, and to consider, am I actually, do I actually sin in the way that these people are saying? Proverbs twelve fifteen says this, the way of an ignorant fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Going back to the issue of pride and how it relates to bearing with others who are, in a sense, intolerable. Yeah, no, I understand that that some people have done things that have offended us or hurt us in the past. I understand that there are people who say things to you in a very callous way or a very dismissive way, and it's not fun to want to be around them. It's not fun to want to talk with them, to want to engage with them, to want to build a relationship with them. I understand that there are people in our lives that we either see as rivals or we see as enemies. But when we think about what God is calling us to do as new creations, we are to be marked with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. We are to graciously forgive others just as God in Christ has graciously forgiven us. And that is a hard calling. It is a hard calling. But going back to Ephesians 4, going back to Ephesians 4, Paul says, That, we are, that uh, as we're bearing with one another in love, we are at the same time being diligent to keep 
the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. You see, bearing with one another naturally should lead us to being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit. Not a false unity where we pretend like we have no problems and everything's okay because I'm not actively punching people right now. I'm not actively getting into arguments with people right now. But we're talking about a unity that is forged through salvation. A unity that is forged through salvation that results in sinners who have been changed by the gospel coming together and committing to love one another in a way that the world won't. The world can't. So that we can show people that the gospel actually does deal with sin. And the way that we know it is because it's dealing with our sin in our hearts. And even though it's painful, it's dealing with the sin that's in there. It's cleaning it out. It's changing the way that we interact with one another. That is the unity that we have that has been forged together by the unbreakable bond of Christ. You know, as well as I do, that this place, that this church, does not have a single perfect person in it. Sometimes we acknowledge that, but we forget that in practice, when we're upset with the church or people in the church. But because we've all been forgiven of our sins and forgiven by our Lord, we must remember that the people that we deal with in this church, that we have fellowship within this church, whether we find them extremely lovable or extremely unlovable, they are our brothers and our sisters. And if we really want to show people that the solution to disunity and strife can be found in the gospel. And in the gospel alone, we need to live like it in our practice, right? Not just, in what we, not just what we think and say, but in our practice. And so even though it's hard, I praise God for his grace and his help. I think back to that objection of, I cannot show this person tolerance. I cannot do it. It's not I cannot, it's I will not. But, through the help of the Holy Spirit, you absolutely can. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, you absolutely can. We need his help for that. We need every ounce of it to love one another and bear with one another as God did for us through Jesus Christ. It's a constant dependence that we have. It's not just, oh, I'll depend on God for this week, for this meetup, for blah, blah, blah. But, you know, next week it's gone. No, it's constant. Constantly refilling ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. In conclusion, bearing with one another, tolerating one another, 
Right? It ought to look different in the church than it does in the world. And though this world preaches the importance of tolerance, and it seems to be unlimited in its scope, this world practices selective tolerance in reality. But we, as Christians, must show ourselves different from the world in how we bear with one another, or how we, how we work together for the sake of the kingdom. We say that we are brothers and sisters. We say that we love God's people, but in reality, because of our sin, there are certain Christians that we just kind of want to avoid. That includes all of us, me included. But what we have to remember is that the gospel breaks down the dividing walls. The gospel abolishes the enmity that exists between people. And if that can be true of the ethnic conflicts that existed in the early church, how much truer is it when it comes to our individual hurts and our preferences now? So brothers and sisters, let us strive together. Together. To humble ourselves before our Lord. And to examine our hearts to see if there's any false way within us. Let's recognize our shortcomings for what they are. And it's sin. It's not just a mistake, but it's sin. Let's confess those sins before the Lord. Let us strive to consider what sinful beliefs and thoughts are at the root of our sinful behaviors. And as we do so, let us put those off from us. And strive to put on what God has called us to put on. Absolutely, we are supposed to put on a heart of thankfulness. But that's also accompanied by those qualities of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So together, let us strive to examine ourselves and to encourage each other on this difficult journey to allow for the word of God, not our feelings, not our preferences, to influence, shape, and guide how we respond to difficult circumstances and people in our lives. It's difficult to do this, but with God's help, we can. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that what you call us to do in your word, in bearing with one another, is something that many of us fall short in. And that this sermon is for every single one of us, that none of us are exempt. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us soft hearts, humble hearts, that desire to think about the different ways where we do not bear with one another, the different ways where we justify showing intolerance towards other people. We pray, Lord, that you would Help us recognize these things and that you would help us to confess those things before you and to be made right with you and to be restored to whomever we might have disagreements with. We pray, Father, that uh, you would be glorified as we, as your church, begin to handle conflicts in a new way, a way that uh, that is reflective of the new self that we've been put on since we are the elect, those who have been set aside by you 
and who are loved by you. Thank you, Father, for your abundant grace towards us. It's your son, so we pray.